Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah, I know the Lord has to be pleased for uh, his children to um, make a noise toward him and uh, get excited over him. Has to be pleased over that. Amen. Turn with me tonight to uh, Deuteronomy. I looked down and saw Jerusalem. I looked down here and saw Jerusalem. And I... Anybody ready to go to Jerusalem? <laughs> Deuteronomy. Get on the right, right book and right place. Deuteronomy chapter 7. <clears throat> you know, in a way, maybe more than in a way, I was glad to get off of the gifts because uh, that we've been on so many weeks, and of course we got off of, off of it last week. Didn't preach on it last week, but um, for a couple of reasons, um, sometimes in sharing something like that, it get our gets our focus more upon things than on Him and happenings and and uh, what we can get from Him rather than on Him. And I think we need to keep our attention on, on the Lord. Um, of course, we try to do that all the time, but still I think that sometimes we, we tend to uh, put our attention other places. Chapter 7. When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you go to possess it, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and don't take that Perizzites personally and the Hivites and the Jebusites seven nations greater and mightier than you and when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you you shall smite them and utterly destroy them you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shall you mar, uh, marry, excuse me, let me back up. Neither shall you make marriages with them. Your daughters you shall not give unto his sons, nor his daughter shall you take unto your son. And they will, for they will turn away your son from following me that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. And thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their idols, burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people unto the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people who are upon the face of the earth. Now, let me stop there first. 
before I, I go on to the rest of it. I want to say a couple of things here. <clears throat> you know, um, one thing is hard to break, and it's old habits. Uh, you live with them for such a long time, they're hard to break. What God's talking about here is when they go into the promised land. This is not in the wilderness. This is in the promised land. This is in the land that God has for them with milk and honey. This is the land in which they were to go in to possess. This is their God's gifted unto them. And it's not out in the wilderness. It's not a temporary place. This is their dwelling place. This is the place that God gave them. A place in which they are to dwell and to live and enjoy because it's God's gift. I want you to understand something about yourself and about the world. When you got saved, God did something different in you. And when he did something different in you, he expects something different from you. The scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. He has made something brand new. It's like making a brand new land. We are God's property, we are God's land. And what happens in us is that when we go into this land, this promised land. By the way, I am a promised land. Okay, I am a land in which God came... Uh, not only to, to possess, but to give me. This uh, land of mine was not mine. This land of mine was ruled by somebody else. This land of mine, I'm talking about this land here, was ruled by someone else besides me. And when God came to save me, He came in order for me to be victorious over this land. See, I'm not supposed to be victorious over your land. I am not supposed to be victorious over you. My victory is supposed to be in here. When I can conquer the victory in here, that is the accomplishment and the fulfillment that God wants, is this land conquered. You can't conquer this land for me. I can't conquer that land for you. We must conquer this land ourselves. Okay? Now, you understand where I'm at so far? I realize that the Word of God is talking about a Canaan, and I know He's talking about real Canaanites and uh, Amorites and all these other things. But in applying it to ourselves, God is talking about this land. And I found, after I got saved, I found enemies in this land that needed to be conquered. I found things in my life that should not have been there. I found things in my life that until they were conquered, I was not going to be able to occupy that land. In order to occupy a land, you must conquer the people. In order to occupy the land and not have constant war, you must conquer the people and really to destroy the people. As long as the people are left, they, they are going to eventually grow bigger and rise up against you. You must, really the best way is to annihilate the people in the land in order to conquer the land. Okay? You understand that too. 
So I found that in conquering this land, I found many enemies. Now, some enemies I liked. Yeah, ever found an enemy you liked? I found somebody occupying part of my land that I said, okay, I like you. I don't mind what's going on over there. I'll let you occupy that land. You don't seem like such a bad guy. I, I can probably enjoy being friends with you and I'll let you alone and I'll let you occupy that part of the land. I don't need it all. And I let him occupy part of my land. But you know, occupying part of the land is not enough for those enemies that you leave in there. They want to rule that land. They don't want you to let them occupy the land and rule the land. Eventually, they want to rule the land. And so many of the areas of my life that I let alone and did not occupy and, and kill those enemies in my life, they became my greatest enemies. Okay? Now let me tell you what God intended here. God intended that the people go in and utterly destroy the enemies of the land so that they would have a pure land, a holy land, for themselves. Do you know what's happening over there in the land today in Israel? Do you know what the problem is in Israel today? There are two people trying to occupy the same land. And it is impossible for opposing uh, people to live in, uh, what is that word? Peaceful coexistence is impossible with enemies. And we believe we can live in peaceful coexistence with some of the dark areas in our life. We believe that we can live in peaceful coexistence with some enemies of our life and our victory that are in our life and live peaceful coexistence. And we can't. You know what must be done? Destroy them. Now, you know, the Lord said something strange. And I think that He said it for this reason. He went in here and He says to go in and possess the land. He said in verse 2, utterly destroy them. Okay? Then in verse 3, He says don't make marriages with them. Now, how can you make a marriage with somebody that's utterly destroyed? Okay, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, if, if everybody's dead, who are you going to marry? Why did God say the other? Do you think maybe God knew a little bit about their character? A little bit about them those people knowing that they would not totally utterly destroy them and let some of them live and after they lived then they would like them well enough to eventually marry them and he said when you marry them they will turn your hearts against your God toward their God did this ever happen 
I mean, in real life, did this ever happen? Yes. The answer is yes. Okay. I'll tell you two incidences, real briefly. There's a lot of places in the Word, but there's a couple of incidents. So let me just mention a couple of them to you. And then I want, I want to apply this and go on. When Balak was trying to get Balaam to curse the people of God, and God put blessings in Balaam's mouth instead of cursings, three times, after he got through, knowing that there was not going to be a curse on him, he advised Balak that if he wanted to deal with those people and wanted to ruin those people, instead of cursing them, he says, give your daughters to them. And he did. Do you know what the brazen serpent was all about? Because of the curse that came upon the children of Israel, not because they were cursed with a curse, but the curse came upon them by intermarrying with these people and their hearts began to be turned away from God and toward other gods. And a curse came upon them because of them loving other wives or other people. Okay? Now, what is he talking about in our life? My sins, the sins in my life that I will not utterly destroy, I end up marrying it. When I marry these sins in my life, every sin that I embrace draws me away from God. No matter how subtle, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant it may appear, every sin, every area of my life that is not from God draws me away from God. Every one of them. They don't think like God, act like God, love God, obey God. They draw me away from God. Okay? Every one of them. Let me read you a scripture over in 2 Corinthians and verse six, chapter 6. Turn with me there and read it just for a minute. He's saying it over in the New Testament, what he's saying to them in the Old Testament. Verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Okay? For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? This is verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. And what communion has light with darkness? For what concord, agreement, has Christ with Belial, or what part has he that believes with an infidel, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols, for that you are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, 
And be ye separate, says the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You see that? That's pretty plain, isn't it? Now, I, I know what he's talking about here, and you know what he's talking about. And, and I think that sometimes, and I, and I, and I don't want to dwell on this part of it, because some of it is pretty obvious. What he's talking about is our fellowship with things in the world. Okay? What fellowship do I have with people in darkness? Right? Nod with me. Okay? I know he's talking about this. But I also know that there is a a thing that happens on the inside of me. You know, I may be totally separated in all appearances from the world. I may not go to their places. I may not do those things. I may not walk with them. I may not fellowship with them. And in all appearances, it may appear and look like I am not fellowshipping with darkness. And can yet harbor some of the same things in my heart that are in their heart, that are hidden in my heart, and embrace those things and hide those things and marry those things and let those things live in me and they became, become just as damning to me and much of a curse to me as if I was out fellowshipping with those in darkness. One of the most damning things to us is secret sins. Open sins I'll eventually uh, confess. Open things I'll deal with. Open things I get caught with I may, may finally confess. Secret sins we hide and believe that we're not going to be found and we harbor things in our hearts that eventually grow to be outward sins, but they grow in the heart. And uh, I find, from what I can see in the Word, uh, see, Solomon married foreign wives, lost the kingdom for his son because of that, because the Scripture said that those wives turned his heart from God. They turned his heart from God. You know what we love? We're trying to please. And if he loved his wives, he tried to please his wives. And if his wife wanted an idol, he built her an idol. If wife wanted to go and worship that idol and wanted him to go along, he went along. And the more he loved his wife the more he submitted and yielded and uh, lowered his standard to meet his wife's needs. Understand? What's the cure? Cure's death. What's dead can't hurt you. Let's go on. Deuteronomy. 
I want you to notice something before I go on reading. I want you to say one more thing. We put a little chart up on the board. In fact, I think I have it still over there. And uh, let me stick it up. Okay? If I can find it. We talked about Egypt and the wilderness. And um, what they meant one night... I'm going to have to do some house cleaning over here, I think. Remember that? I talked about some things that... uh, About Egypt being the world where we were, lost in bondage to Satan... The wilderness, crossing the Red Sea, the wilderness is where we we were saved, heading someplace. And then we talked about crossing the Jordan into Canaan, which was going into the fullness of the Lord. And we talked about that. But I want you to know where the enemies are. The enemies that God is talking about is not in the wilderness, and they're not in Egypt. You know where they are? In the spirit-filled life. The enemies that are to be conquered and dealt with are now continuing to be put to death. And they're over here in Canaan. They're not in the wilderness. They're not over in Egypt. All these enemies that he's talking about is over here in Canaan. When we're already supposed to be having victory and liberty, we're going to have it because of conquering our enemies. And putting them to death. Alright, verse 7. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. Let me hurry on from here for a second. Verse 6. For you are a holy people unto the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people who are upon the face of the earth. Is he talking about us? He's talking about all of His people, special people. The Lord did not set His love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you are the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because He would keep the oath which He swore unto your fathers, has the Lord brought you out of a mighty land and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. Now therefore... The Lord your God, He is God and uh, the faithful God who keeps covenants and mercies with them who love Him and keeps His commandments to a thousand generations and repays them who hate Him to their face. To destroy them, He will not slack it to them. Who hates Him, He will repay Him to His face. You shall therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the ordinance which I command you this day to do them. Now, then, then we have the promise of victory after this. Now, I want to say this because until we get, I want to get into chapter eight. I want to say this: we are God's people because God loves us, and not because we're special. God chose to love. We didn't force God to love, and nobody forced God to love. God chose to love, and God set His love upon me because God chose to set His love upon me, and I am His because He chose. To love me 
because he chose to call me his own, because he chose that. Not because I'm special. And that's what he was trying to tell the Israelites. It's not because you're special people. It's because I chose. And I decided to love you. That's all. Okay? Now, what does the Lord do to those who he loves? What, what, is, what does God love to do? Not love to do. What does God do to those he loves? What, what does God do? Huh? Chastens. And what? Delivers. Corrects. Huh? Blesses. Is that what you said? Provides for. You could name a lot of things that he does. Doesn't he? And if we were going to go out and choose the things that he does, what would we choose? Huh? The blessings and the goodness and the deliverances and the help and the chase. No, we wouldn't choose that. I want to ask you a question. What does you more good that God does? You know what? Let me let me just tell you about today or some families today or people today. You take children, love them, give to them. Provide for them. Help them. Um, bless them. And never chasten them. You will have what? Monsters. Monsters. Good word. That's what you'd have. You would have Monsters. You would have unruly, unthankful people. You'd have, they would grow up to be selfish, expecting to be blessed, expecting to be helped, expecting to be delivered, expecting to be provided for, expecting it, wouldn't they? God didn't give them a land and said, just go in there and I'll run everybody out and you just, just go in there and have, just, you know, I'll just do it, do it all. They'll just drop dead before you get there and when you get there, they'll, I'll even bury them for you. I mean, you won't have to do a thing. My land of milk and honey, you're going to go in there and you're going to have, you're just going to have a time of your life and you're going to walk in there and just enjoy life and everything's going to be fine. I'm going to be your God and I'm just going to love you and I'm going to give to you and provide for you and do all manner of things to you. I'm going to set a fence around this place and there's no enemy going to walk in this place. I'm just going to be so sweet to you. Aren't you glad God didn't do that? Before they got in there, God began to test them. 
Before they arrived, God began to prepare them and test them and try them and prove them and chasten them so that they might be ready that when they went in the land and conquered the land and fought for the land and brought deliverance, they'd know that God had done it. Let me read you. He warned them in the rest of the chapter 7 about uh, taking their carved images and all this. Chapter 8. All the commandments which I command this day shall ye observe to do that ye live and multiply. And go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these forty years in the wilderness. Now he's going to tell them how they led them in the wilderness. Was the wilderness necessary? Shirley and I drove across the Sinai Desert in a half a day. Did not take us 40 years. I mean, we, we, left, we left Israel, left at Gaza around noon, and we were in our hotel that night before sundown in Cairo, Egypt. Drove all the way across in less than half a day, about a half a day or less. It's in walking distance. Short walking distance, not a short walking distance, but you know, a few million people can do it in a few days. I mean, uh, not too many days, or or less than forty years. But you know what, God? See, all this that happened to them happened for a reason that we need to apply it ourselves. God had a bunch of people came out of Egypt, heading for a place. And in the wilderness, he used it to prepare them. He had to kill what needed to be killed and raise up what needed to be raised and test what needed to be tested. And when they got there, all the old was dead, the new was tested and ready to go. And the same way with you and I. Folks, the things that you experience and go through, God is bringing and allowing things in your life in order to bring testing and proving and strengthening and encouragement in your life and not for bad. I wish we could ever somehow get to the place where we look at all of our problems as opportunities. Now, we haven't got to that place yet. I found very few that have gotten that place yet. And so don't feel bad that say, oh, everybody else must have gotten there. I'm the only one that's lagging mine. No. I'll just show you all of them and we're all that way. But everything that comes in our life, comes in our life, whether it's from the enemy or not, doesn't make any difference. It's an opportunity to grow, to be tested and proved and encouraged and strengthened and overcome. It is an opportunity for God to bring strength in our life. Listen to what it says. 
Verse 2. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep the commandment or not. Why 40 years? To humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep the commandment or not. They pass or fail? Some pass, some fail. This is what it says. Verse 3. He humbled you and suffered you to, to hunger. And fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. What do you do first? What comes first? Hunger and then manna. First the problem and the solution. Say? Okay? You understand that? Let me illustrate it. Okay? Poor old Jeff. I helped him up. Okay? Now what can he tell me? I didn't want to get up. You know? I don't I don't need to get up. I don't want to get up. Okay? But what if he's in trouble? Then, and he can't get up, and he has to get up, now what? Now he wants me to get him up, right? Okay. Here comes the Lord. He says, I mean, he comes in one day. They're in the wilderness. had not been there that long. He comes in with all this bread. And I said, what's all this bread for? I mean, I got ten loaves in the basket and and uh, it's going to rot before I get eat what I've got and why bring me all this bread? And they would what? Rejected the bread because they didn't need bread. Okay? Now, let's erase that. Now, Shut off the supply of bread. There is no bread. And it hadn't been bread for days. And I mean, you want some bread real bad. And you began to borrow from everybody and finally find out that nobody has any bread. And then bring the bread truck around. And what does everybody want? They want bread. You let them thirst and give them water. What do they want? You remember what they did? They thirsted and they what? Cried out unto God who was their deliverer. Isn't that what they did? How did they act in their testing? Huh? 
I, I don't know whether y'all read this or not before. Have y'all ever read Exodus? Huh? Have you ever read Exodus after three days after they got out of there? I mean, have you ever read Exodus? It says that they ran out of water, and what did they do? They got out and had a prayer meeting and believed God. Isn't it? And they really believed God and trusted God that God was going to supply their water. Isn't that what they did? And everybody shook their head no. You know what they did? They murmured and complained. Why? That there was no water. They did not go to God. They murmured and complained that there was no water because they have not learned yet that God was the supplier of the water. They just complained because of the problem. They did not go to the source. And what God did is let them hunger and let them thirst and then supplied them with water and with food and with clothing that didn't wear out. He met their needs to show them what? That He was the supply. See? That's all it was about. That's what God's testing in your life is about. Is to show you where the source is. Who the source is. Anything wrong with having needs? No. Because you got someone to go to to supply the need and He'll become more of a God to you and a more supply to you and a help to you because He's brought the need in your life to bring the supply to your life so that your lifeline will be drawn upon Him and not upon anything else. Man shall not live by what? Bread alone. Bread alone. What, why do you put that in there? Isn't that a strange place to be? He made them hungry. Hungry. Then gave him bread from heaven in order to show him something. That man does not live by bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Everything that comes from God. Out of the mouth of babes. And he says this, said this, Whom the Lord loves, he, what Caleb said back there, chastens. Is, what does chastening mean? Correct? Train. Correct doesn't mean, in every case, Whipping. And now we've got an idea that chastening simply means hitting somebody. Whom the Lord loves, He hits. And we don't like the word, whom the Lord loves, He chastens, because we think it's whipping. It's training. Whatever it takes to train, He uses it to train, but for the purpose of making us better, not to getting even. No chastening is to get even. All chastening is far as training. All chastening is training. All of it is for training. Okay? 
So see, what God did, preparing them to go in and destroy these people, He got them ready out here before they went in. And He did it by testing, proving, changing. In order that, and I got to close. Been going too long already. Let me just read a little bit. He said He humbled you in verse... Four, he says that your raiment didn't grow old. Uh, verse 5, that you shall also consider in your heart that as man cleanses his son, so the Lord God, I mean chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment of the Lord to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God brings you into a good land. And he t- talks about how good the land is. But then he, excuse me, then he goes on. He says, after a while, after you've gone in, you've eaten from the land, you've enjoyed the land, you possess the land, you're sitting on your patio in your house of the land that you've conquered, and you've got this orchard out there, and you're doing real well. He says, now, lest you forget where it came from, and say at the end of it, your heart being lifted up, verse 4, 14. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of the bondage and who led you this way. Verse 17. You shall say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Now he's warning of two things and I want to close with this and that is this. God told you how to go in the land and conquer it. He said, defeat your enemies. But he also says, I'm going to go in there and help you and I'm going to defeat them for you. And I'm going to give you a land that is blessed and it is full of fruit and it is full of good things. But on the way in, I'm going to train you on the way in. I'm going to discipline you and prove you and prepare you to go in so that you, when you go in, you will remember and know that God did that and you didn't. Whatever you are today is not by your own hand. Whatever you ever become is not because you did it. Whatever abilities, power, strength, uh, righteousness, holiness, walk, whatever you are, whatever you've got is not by your own strength. And if we ever come to the place where we start believing in ourselves and believing in our strength, we are getting ready to make a fall. Okay? God never wants us to forget that God is God. That's why all the training and all the preparation, that's why we trip and fall and God picks us up. So see there? You fall. It's common to fall. You can't trust your legs. I'll pick you up and I'll help you and I'll be your strength, but don't ever forget who your strength is. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever think that your legs are strong enough. Don't ever believe in yourself. You trust me. You rely upon me. We have a friend... I, I think I shared this with you. Shirley has used this illustration a number of times. 
and uh, he was a music and youth director at this Baptist church in, in Lancaster that was a member of. And uh, Larry Sinclair was his name. And when he was two years old, he had polio. And so one of his legs never developed. It stayed real small. And he had an iron brace. I don't even remember what leg it was. And uh, it just seemed like both of them was the same. But anyway, he had this brace on his leg. And he could do anything. Boy, you talk about a softball pitcher. That guy could knock, knock years off like that. Football player, he's rougher than any, any of us. Basketball. I mean, he, that leg did not limit him to do anything. He could do anything. Shirley asked him about that one time. He said, there's only one thing I can't do is swim. He said, it rusts. <laughs> he, didn't say he, couldn't, he didn't even say he couldn't swim. He said, it's because it rusts. 